This episode of Wealth Management Today is brought to you by Ezra Group Consulting. If your firm is evaluating new technology or looking to improve your current wealth platform, you need to contact Ezra Group. Don't spend another day using technology that doesn't offer a seamless user experience. Your advisors and clients deserve better, and you can deliver it to them with the help of Ezra Group. Go to ezragroup.co, that's E-Z-R-A-G-R-O-U-P.co for more information. And we're back again with more from the wonderful world of wealth tech. My name is Craig Eskowitz, and I'm a strategy and technology consultant, and also the host of the Wealth Management Today podcast, where I share the latest ideas, trends, and innovations in our industry. This week, I have as my guest, Cheryl Nash, who is not only the president of the Investment Services Division of financial technology giant Fiserv, but she's also my very good friend, and I'm so stoked and excited to talk to her. I've interviewed Cheryl many times, both for my WM Today blog and for the Winners of Wealth Tech series. Cheryl has really seen it all in wealth management technology, and she always provides terrific insights. I know you're going to enjoy hearing our conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. So let's get started. And now on the Wealth Management Today podcast. I'm so happy to have Cheryl Nash, the president of Fiserv Investment Services. Welcome, Cheryl Nash. Thank you, Craig, and I'm so happy to be here with you. I'm so happy to have you here. And I'm going to tell everybody that I ju- we just talked for about f- 10 minutes, and I didn't have the podcast recording started. So we have to do this all over again. Uh, so uh, hopefully this will be much more clipped and, and, and prepared, because we're going to do the exact same conversation we just had over again. And um, I wanted to thank you for being on the podcast and why I'm so excited to have you on the podcast, and this being episode five of the Wealth Management Today podcast, is that uh, we were talking last year about ways we could work together more. And you suggested, hey, Craig, you should, have, you should interview me on a podcast. And I've interviewed you many times before for other, other things such as the Wealth Management Today blog and the Winners of Wealth Tech uh, blog. And you said, do a podcast. And I thought, I really need to have a podcast if I'm going to do this. So uh, I, I've been thinking about it, but I never really did it. And then you sort of pushed me over the edge to really get me going. So I wanted to thank you for that inspiration. Oh, you're welcome. Um, I think podcasts are a great way to get your message out. And, you know, people drive so much today. It's a great thing to listen to when you're driving or traveling. So I'm excited about doing this with you. And we should do everything twice. It, always, it sounds way better than the first time we did this. And so... This podcast is going to be the Congratulations to Cheryl podcast. So I want to congratulate you for 2019 being 36 years at essentially the same company. Yeah, thank you. So um, it's exciting, you know, being in this company for that many years and holding so many different roles at this company. So it's really, I've been been able to really grow and expand working here. Um, Started with a little company called Security APL got bought by CheckFree, and then got bought by Pfizer. So what a great um, career, I think, and I feel very fortunate. Yeah, and there's, and there's so much to be done, and it's, it's, it's in this day and age where people are changing jobs every couple of months, to see someone with 30-plus years uh, is, is, is incredible. Thank you. And for more congratulations, I wanted to congratulate you on being named the leader of the Women in Wealth Management component of the Investnet Institute on campus. 
Thank you. So um, for those of you who don't know InvestNet Institute on campus, it is really a program that's focused on making college students workforce ready. And I'm focused on the Women in Wealth program there and really helping women understand that there are real career opportunities in wealth management, financial services. I think today um, women don't look at themselves as being in a financial services organization and there's so many different things they can do. So I get to go out and talk to college students and really help them understand what an enriching career they can have in this space. Yeah, and that's really a great way to get people into wealth management. And it's, it's not really, I mean, you and I both know it's not this, it's not something that gets a lot of press. Uh, so a lot of people, maybe they see the other type of technologies being more marketed and, and, and seeing like, like a better destination, but there's so much for them to do in wealth and so much technology in wealth that, that, that we just need to get more presence in the colleges to get people interested in this. That's right. Um, when I think about when we started InvestNet Institute on campus in 2015, we had 20 women in the program. And at the end of 2018, we had 638. So we've really made a big difference in helping women come into this so that they understand that they can and that they should. I think that's awesome. Uh, and as the father of three daughters, I'm always looking for um, other opportunities for them. And this is a great, uh, a great opportunity for, for, uh, for women in to get into Wealth Tech and to learn what it's about. So um, more congratulations for Cheryl. Uh, you were named by the Investment News as one of the women to watch in 2017. And you had a great quote I wanted to, 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 to talk about. So you said, as a, woman in, as a woman in the industry, I've been able to make a difference, but it hasn't always been easy. That's right. So, so tell me, what are some of the obstacles that you faced and, and, and overcame? And maybe you can just pick one and, and how you overcame that. You know, I think, and even today this happens, I think there's so many times when I'm the only woman in the room. And it's either with a client meeting or um, not so much as a conference anymore. There's been a big push for having more women on conference panels. Mm -hmm. But I think that's had you know, really made me become much more confident and much more focused on understanding what it is um, that the expectations are. Because I feel that you, when you're the only woman in a room, sometimes you represent the other women in the industry and you really need to make sure that you come across as self-confident, you come across as really knowledgeable, and you really um, take that time to you know, put yourself out there. So I would say that's probably one of the biggest obstacles is really making sure that um, if you are the only woman that you represent the other women in the industry really well. And another thing that I was reading, um, you wrote uh, a blog post for International Women's Day, which I thought was excellent. Thank you. And it was, it was quotes from other uh, female leaders and I just wanted to read a couple of quotes to you and get your, your thoughts. And it, it links back to what you just said. Uh, so Lori Hardwick, who, uh, who, I'm, who I think is fantastic and, and, uh, and wonderful, and I interviewed her on my Winners of Wealth Tech uh, uh, blog. She, said, she was quoted in your article. And she said, taking risks isn't always natural for women, but to be an effective entrepreneur, you must. Should you fail, it's important to learn from it, but don't dwell on it. So... How does that link back to what you just spoke about? Yeah, so it, it links really nicely. So, yeah, I love Lori. So, I, I, I mean, I'll just go back to that article, that blog, and then I'll answer your question mm -hmm. uh, 
side. But so I feel very fortunate because the women that I have um, really surrounded myself with, especially on some of the boards that we're on, um, the InvestNet Institute on Campus Board, as well as the MMI Women in Wealth uh, group that we're co-chairing. Um, I feel like I've found these women through growing up in the industry together, and it's been a really nice group that we can, and we do, we connect with each other, we help each other out, um, we support each other. Um, there's a place, safe place to go if you have a challenge or you need some somebody to sit down with and say, hey, help me think through this. So those women in that article are really what I call some really good friends of mine that I've been able to really, um, they've helped me grow in my career. And I think that we've been able to help each other a lot. Um, but yeah, Lori's quote was excellent. And I think, you know, women, especially when they fail or they feel like they're not good enough, they dwell on it and they spend a lot of time on it where, um, you know, what, what we've seen is men don't necessarily do that. Men will just move on. So one of the things that, um, and an obstacle that we're really helping, especially young college students understand, is that failure is always a learning opportunity. And if you think of it that way, then, you know, don't you don't dwell on it. You take it as a learning opportunity. You don't repeat the mistakes that you made the first time, but you really think about it as, as a lessons learned. So you can, you know, continue to grow and learn from it. And that was what really Lori was trying to say, which I think is really great advice. Uh, I agree. So, so taking risks isn't always natural for women, is, is Lori's quote. So how, yeah. do, how do we, uh, the royal we, how do we encourage women to take more risks? I think having a great support system and a great network helps women feel more confident. Um, you know, there's, I think there's some, data out there that that says women won't even apply for a job if they don't think they're a hundred percent ready for that job where men would apply um because they know that they can get there so taking risks is something that um, women have to feel more comfortable about and it's really around self-confidence and knowing that people have your back um i think it's easier to take risks when you know that you've got people surrounding you that were that want to see you succeed and will always help you as you know you maneuver through some challenges but you know women have to get over that confidence gap and they have to figure out how they can take risks and they have to surround themselves themselves with really good people who are always going to help them yeah i think it might even be it links back into what we talked about earlier about the investnet institute on campus that you know, you've got to get them earlier and they seeing a, a strong woman come into the college uh, world and th they can see them at that age and see here's a strong woman. She's taking risks and, as a role model. That might also help. That's very true. Um, yeah, we need more women leaders all around for role models. I think in every organization, there is a lot of big focus on bringing more, you know, diversity of thought and diversity of thinking and all that into businesses. But if you're sitting in a business and you don't see women leaders, you don't see that role model, you don't have that role model to really look up to, to allow you to take risks and try to um, get into different positions and learn more. So I think we're, you know, I, I say this a lot right now, but I truly believe it. I think it's the best time ever for a woman to join financial services, wealth management, mm -hmm. because it's not just a check the box, we need more women anymore. It really is firms really focused on how do they get better thinking and more diverse thinking into their organization. So minorities, women, you know, really making sure that their teams have better diversification so you're not hiring and bringing in people that are have the same experience as you and look just like you.
you know, I, th- I, I, I've, I've tried, I've made this point a couple of times with other people that's more, it's almost, you know, it's, it's, it's somewhat like, and this links back to something that I was always into when I was a kid, I always loved comic books. And whenever you saw the superheroes, there was always, every superhero had a different talent. So if you look at your team as a bunch of superheroes, you got to have the different superheroes to have the different talents to make the team. That's right. Yeah, we, I, I was in London two weeks ago and I met with a client and she was preparing for a speech on diversity and, and inclusion. And she was actually talking about trivia nights at pubs hmm. where you bring in a team and you don't bring in people who have the exact same knowledge, but you bring in somebody who's good at music and somebody who's good at history and somebody who's good at, you know, action figures. And you really surround yourself at that trivia group with people with different um, knowledge and, you know, different experiences. And you, you have a really good chance to win. If you bring all your friends in who are just like you, you don't have a good chance to win. So I think that's that's a really interesting way to think about it, but it's really accurate as well. Yeah. Uh, so another quote, I really like this, um, the International Women's Day blog post. So another quote I liked was from, oh, but before I go on, so Lori Hardwick is the founder and president of the of Advisor Innovation Labs. Before I yep. go So the, another quote was from Robin Pollock, who is the CEO and founder of Trellis Consulting. And what she said was, self-promotion is an important component of branding. Women often struggle with it. Worrying will be viewed as bragging. That inner dialogue must change. So how do we change that inner dialogue? I think by talking about it. So Robin, if you don't know Robin, Robin is really somebody in the industry who's 100% focused and dedicated on diversity and inclusion. And that's her job. And one of the things that she's very focused on in that role is helping women um, understand that personal branding, how you, how you put yourself out there, how you put yourself out there, whether you're in a meeting, whether you're in um, the office, whether you're on social media, it's all about building your personal brand. And I think that's so critical. And you know, one of the things that she always says is if you go into a meeting and there's a table and there's chairs surrounding the table and you're a woman, don't go sit at the chairs that are at the table. Make Mm -hmm. sure you find a seat at the table because how you position yourself and how you put yourself out there at the very beginning makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Robin is very much focused on personal branding. And I truly believe in that because I think that what you have is your own reputation. That's all you have. Mm -hmm. So when you're out there, you need to make sure that you're putting yourself out there in the best light you're, um, you know, you're dressed for success. You're doing all those things that are really critical to put yourself, your own personal brand out there in the best way. Oh, agreed. Yeah, and it's, it's definitely something you need to work on. It's a skill that you have, to, you have to work and work and work at it. And you have to know it's important because I don't think people really, you know, a lot of times, you know, women think if, oh, if I do that, if I sit at the table or if I raise my hand a lot, I'm bragging or I'm like a know-it-all, but that's not true. You need to keep putting yourself out there and keep doing those types of things. Yes. And as you said, you're, you're always, you know, even if you have a job, if you're a full-time employee, you know, for, for myself, I'm a consultant, so I'm always promoting, but if you know, if you're a full-time employee, you need to be promoting yourself because you may want a different job in the organization and other parts of the organization don't know about you. You won't get that job. And right. or if you want to get a job somewhere else then other companies have to know about you. So it requires a, 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 a constant promotion. Or you need to be in a client meeting with a very senior executive and you want them to look at you as a, as a, mm-hmm. as a pair and have the same you know, dialogue with you. So there's so many different examples of why that's important. Hmm. Yeah. 
So I'm glad that Robin, you included Robin's quote in your article. Yes. So switching from uh, International Women's Day into more on the, the industry, you recently wrote an article, uh, which I really liked, called How Personas Could Revolutionize Fintech. So could you talk a little bit about, about, about why you wrote that article and, and how Fiserv is, is, is getting into personas in fintech? Sure. So um, that's a, a great question because when you think about today, and I was actually at a conference last week talking about this, but when you think about today, it's all about the experiences. And regardless of your um, age or your gender or whatever that might be, you think about how you want to um, take care of your finances, understand your um, investment vehicles. All of that has to do with, in my mind, experiences. So when you have personas and you're going at the, you know, you're working with a financial advisor or you're working with a, just a platform itself, you want to make sure that the way that you're being interacted with matches your persona. Um, so I really think this is, this is where the next revolution is going is around making sure that everybody has the experience at that moment that fits them at, you know, exactly at that time. So if I'm a millennial and I just graduated from college, I've got large college debt and I'm about to get a new job and invest in a home, my experience with my financial advisor needs to match that or my experience with my robo platform needs to match that. So when you put yourself as you're developing technology and you're developing ways in which you're going to work with investors, if you always put yourself in the shoes of the person that you're talking to or working with, you will have the best um, outcome. So it's all around the experience. It's all around the client um, experience and how you want to touch them. So I think personas are really important and it's the world that we live in today. We live in the Amazon Prime world. We live in technology that's, you know, very easy to get to at your fingertips. You have to make everyday choices. And I think the right choice for advisors to work with these different personas is through, through experience. I know Fiserv owns a very powerful data aggregation tool called All Data. That's correct. Are you leveraging that for personas? We are. So we're leveraging that in our financial planning, goals-based planning modules. So when you think about personas and um, getting all the data, you know, we sit on an enormous amount of data, as do most technology companies and actually, you know, banks and brokerages. And, the, and what you do with that data is so important. So you, you leverage all that data to build out what you need from a persona perspective. You know a lot about people before they ask you questions because of the data that you sit on. So you should be able to, through um, algorithms, help paint a picture for that investor um, in a way in which that really, you know, connects with them through the data that you have. And all data is just one piece of that. It brings in, you know, outside data from an aggregation perspective. In Fiserv Investment Services, we alone sit on an enormous amount of data for our clients today. You know, we're the network that feeds um, distribution and asset managers and you know, all that data that we sit on really helps us build out capabilities in a way in which personas and the end investor or the end advisor can really take advantage of. Sorry to interrupt the show, but we just need to take a quick break to talk about our awesome sponsor. The Invest in Others Foundation is a nonprofit that recognizes financial advisors for their exceptional charitable work. The nominations window for their 13th annual awards gala is now open. 
I was fortunate enough to attend the gala last year, and one of my favorite parts was the video interviews they did with each advisor about their charity work. It was an incredibly moving experience to see the tremendous impact that these charities provide back to their communities and how Invest in Others was helping. If you know a financial advisor who is actively giving back to a charity, please nominate them at investinothers.org forward slash nominate by April 5th. Winners will have a chance to receive up to $50,000. Yes, that's $50,000 for the nonprofit they support. This is a great way to highlight the good that exists within the financial services arena. I'd like to encourage all of my listeners to submit the name of an advisor they know to invest in others, since I'm sure their charity could use some of these extra funds to help their cause. One quote I really liked in the article uh, was about banks. So he said, banks that aren't in wealth today don't necessarily understand what it takes to run a wealth management platform. So setting something up from a digital perspective will be a good introduction for them. Yes. So can you talk about the digital perspective from Fiserv's point of view? Yes. So Fiserv is probably um, in the banking industry is the best uh, platform for mobility and for digital. And they are way ahead of wealth management. So what we've done from a Fiserv perspective with electronic bill payment and presentment with, you know, taking a picture of your check and having that automatically deposited in your account and all those really nice mobile apps that Fiserv has built for banking needs to be moved over to wealth management so that our systems can be very efficient. So the banking and the the, you know, the wealth systems can talk to each other. And, you know, really when you think about from a digital perspective, all the ease and operational efficiencies that are needed around client onboarding, around opening accounts faster, around data, sending data around um, alerts. So Fiserv has a really great alert system that we're looking to put into the wealth side that alerts you if, you know, you're a Advisor, your client just got a big bonus. That big dollar amount is sitting in their account. There's an alert that says, hey, you just got this, your investor just got this big dollar amount. You might want to help them with where they want to put it. So all those things that are done in making the banking industry so efficient needs to be moved over to wealth. And we sit on, you know, the greatest knowledge of being able to be able to support that and, and drive that. I'm really excited to see some of those new things coming out from the banking side into the wealth management side. And when you talk about alerts, I see alerts, and I want to get your opinion on this, alerts is really one of the ways that AI can impact advisors directly. That's correct. Agreed. Intelligent alerts that give you actionable guidelines rather than the the old alerts we used to see where you get a thousand of them and they don't mean anything, where you really get an alert that says, you must do this now, or here's the order of things you must do because of this data backing this up. No, and that's exactly right, Craig. So when you think about um, the artificial intelligence that's built into technology in the back end, if you're an advisor and you're sitting at a dashboard, you come in in the morning, there's five things you want to know. You want to know which accounts potentially are drifting out of their tolerances, which accounts might be out of their, um, might need to be rebalanced, which accounts had big deposits or withdrawals in the last day or two, you know, which accounts were open. So there's some, from a, from an artificial intelligence perspective, you need to put in front of an advisor exactly what they need to see every morning because they've got a lot going on. And you want to free up their time where they can go visit clients or talk to clients. So artificial intelligence is becoming very critical within 
technology, just to, to your point, to have smart alerts and not just a big group of alerts that are out there that you're not sure what to do with. So that's what we're building, and, and that's some of the things that we already have to market is really smart alerts. Yeah, I think those, I really like those in, in terms of getting things in front of advisors. Yes. Um, so one of the other areas I wanted to talk about, Cheryl, with leading in from your, your comments on digital was that digital platforms gathering a lot of data can then use that to build personas and segment their clients. And, and I want to talk about how Fiserv has embraced digital advice channels, not only through your own development, but also through partners. And one of the partners I saw you have was Marstone. So can you talk a bit about how you're partnering with Marstone and how that's changing the, the experience for advisors and clients? Sure. So um, Marstone is a digital advice platform. They started out in the robo world as a robo, and now they've moved into complete digital advice. And Marstone is a great partner for us because they have offered more of a tool for the advisor and the end client that really shows the the um, client where they want to go in a very and Margaret Hardigan who's the CEO and president of Marstone will say in a very beautiful experience and they've made a very they've made it very simple so when you think about a bank coming into wealth management it's a good stepping stone they can use a platform that allows them to put their goals in and they have it in a baseball card type format so they can have a beach house and a college education and things like that, that it's very personalized with the, with the investor's picture. So there's always something that when the investor goes looks and looks at it, it's very personalized and, again, to their persona, to them. So we are uh, partnered with Marstone to go after the banking channel. Um, we think there's a big opportunity within the banking um, industry that the, where they don't potentially have wealth today where they're looking to partner with somebody who is has a custodial platform, who has an RIA, and who has a really nice user experience, and that's Marstone. So that's really where we're um, we're looking in that area. Also, banks who are Fiserv clients can use who have a trust platform already can use investment services, goals-based planning, and platforms. So you know we've got some good options for the banks out there today. It certainly seems that way, especially compared to other firms that maybe have only point solutions that have to be integrated with other systems. You have an end-to-end -end product that's right. that a bank could implement and integrate all across their, their, uh, all their platforms together. That's right. Um, speaking of acquisitions uh, or, or integrating, uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on the acquisition of first data and how will that impact investment services? So um, that data, that deal has not closed yet. So that's expected to close, you know, sometime in the second half of this year. Um, but first data is very complementary to Fiserv. So we expect to be, you know, to look at what they have once we close and see where there's complementary solutions that we can, we can establish. Hmm. Do you see this as, as just another step in the in, in industry consolidation or is this a, a big change that's really going to shake things up? So I think this turns Fiserv into a, I think, $15 billion company. So it's going to be a big change that will shake things up. Good. Uh, one thing I, I like to ask um, people on the podcast, uh, in the industry, of course, is about conferences. And I go to a lot of conferences. You go to a lot of conferences. Um, yeah. people, one of the questions I get a lot from people is, which are the best conferences? And I know I have my uh, opinion, but what's your opinion? Which conferences do you go to that you, besides the Fiserv conference, of course, uh, Fiserv Forum? which is next month, uh, which conferences do you go to that you feel you get the most out of? 
Uh, that's a great question because that's something we look at every year. Um, because there's so many conferences out there and more and more keep popping up, we need to make sure that we don't just attend conferences for the sake of attending conferences, but with the, we really either add value at the conference or we get value from it. So I would say MMI is one of our most um, uh, one of our best conferences. It's our clients are all there, so it's the greatest time to network, and we can have meetings and things like that. So um, the content for M MMI is very good. Um, I'm on the board uh, board of governors for MMI, so have the, the, influence. Money, the Money Management Institute for people who don't know MMI. That's right. For those of you who don't know MMI, the Money Management Institute. So that's our number one conference. We always make sure we have that on our calendars every year. Um, you know, it's, we're starting to look at the, the newer type conferences like the Invest, which is mostly focused on fintech companies coming up and helping, you know, these firms understand what's out there and opportunities to, um, to learn about what's next. So the Invest, there's an East Coast Invest and an Invest West. So um, I'm speaking at the Invest Conference coming up, and I just, you know, I just think that that's one of a, another really good conference. I was just at FISA last week, which is Banking Insurance Securities. For the mm -hmm. first time, Pfizer was there, and um, I was actually on a panel there about uh, the digital client experience. And I would say that was a very interesting conference. The um, there was a lot of firms. There were credit unions. There were um, brokerage firms. There were uh, different, you know, wholesalers. Uh, a lot of fintech companies. A lot of insurance companies. And there were 780 attendees at that conference. And I, I think it was probably one of the best conferences I've been to in a while. It was new, but it was um, there was a lot of interest in what we were doing and what other firms like us were doing, especially in the digital space. And we had some really valuable conversations with firms on how we potentially could help them or how they could help us. So I would say that was probably one of the best conferences I've been to in quite some time. Mm -hmm. um, but you do, And then, then we go to our client conferences. Like the, um, we were at AssetMark two weeks ago. We go to Schwab Impact. We go to um, Pershing Insight. So we do spend time, too, looking at what our clients are doing. We do a lot of Wells Fargo advisor conferences and uh, making sure that we're supporting our clients at those conferences. Yeah, it's, it's like you could go to conferences, nothing else but go to conferences. That's right. That's why we have to be very, you know, we literally sit down and we look at the big list because it's getting bigger, as you know, Craig, because I see you at a lot of conferences as well. You just have What's to make that? sure you're, and we don't always need booths, so sometimes we'll send some salespeople there, some product people there to learn. Mm -hmm. um, I'll tell you what's valuable to us is your, when you go to conferences and you do your write-ups, um, because you do, you know, you really give a good synopsis of what happened at these conferences, and I think that's very helpful for firms like us. Thank you, thank you very much. This is the part of the podcast where the guests compliment me. <laughs> I, I, I started saying that because it's funny because it, it, it does happen, but uh, it's not a requirement. Uh, but yeah, it does. It does. See, there's so much going, and the reason I I write my my blog, my blog started out as conference summaries because I I would take notes and I just put them away in my files right. and never look at them again. I thought, this is crazy. And why am I taking all these notes and never looking at it? What am I getting out of the conference? And you tend to go to these things and what do you, what, what's the takeaways? And I, I wanted to write up something first for myself. And then it sort of became something that I was sharing with the industry and Hey, here's what I see at the conference. What do you guys see? Right. So I think, it I think it's, it's, 
Yeah, and one of the things we ask when our product people go to conferences to do the same thing, to share with what they learned with the rest of the team back that stays back, because there's a lot, you do learn a lot of good things at these conferences. Yeah, and you've got to be able to take something away and then say, well, what did I change about my job? What did I change about what I'm working on? Right. Have we changed our plans? Have, you know, or maybe we changed nothing. We decided to change nothing because, but maybe we made a conscious decision as opposed to just going, having some dinner and seeing some people and leaving. That's right. So, yeah, you don't want to be a boondoggle. Um, but I, I think too, what, what technology companies like us, when we go to those conferences, it's such an opportunity to network mm -hmm. and your clients are always there or your prospects. So that's one of the key reasons why those are important for us. Yeah, you know, with, with more and more technology, which we talk about a lot, making it easier to work remotely and, and doing video conferencing and, of course, conference calls and things, it's you have less and less opportunities to get in front of people. That's right. That's exactly right. And you just uh, made a trip to Europe to get in front of clients and, and staff. So how, how was that? I did. So we have a, a team in London. I have a team in London that is working on our billing platform and our um, post-trade processing platform. And it was a great trip. Um, it was, you know, the team that I have in London is always thinking outside the box and looking at partnerships and looking at how they can uh, work with other Pfizer business units to be part of some of the sales. Mm -hmm. And so that was part of my, the, the reason I went to London to work on some of those with them, but also to visit clients. And, you know, when you visit clients, um, that you don't get to see as often as you'd like. It's always good to get in front of them and hear from them how things are going, what we could be doing better, and you know, and and that's probably the most important lesson that you get from those meetings. But also mm -hmm. what we're doing well and where we need to keep focusing on. So had a really good meeting, had very good meetings in London. Um, you know, got there Monday and didn't stop until I left Thursday night. But it was uh, all worth it. Is it more difficult to manage people who are uh, in another country? I don't think so. It depends on who you have um, as your leader. I have a phenomenal leader in our London office, and um, probably it's harder for him because he works more hours than he'd probably like, but it's not harder to manage them. It's not. Hmm. Is, it, is it because it's London and they're all native English speakers? Like, would it maybe be more difficult if they were in Germany? And they didn't speak English, yes, but a lot of, so we do have offices in, in different parts. Um, we have some folks in Paris who um, are French, they speak French, but they also speak English. True. So what I found is most of the, um, most of the people at Fiserv who are in different countries, they also speak a little English or mm -hmm. they speak a lot of English. So it's not that hard to communicate. Excellent. Yeah, and a lot of people don't realize Fiserv is a, is a global company. That's right. Because yeah, you, you tend to focus just on the U.S.-based solution. Yeah, no, and we have a, a big, you know, we're a big growing um, global organization. So it's a, it's when you think about what's happening outside the U.S., there are more and more investors looking for solutions. Mm -hmm. And I think we there's a lot of learning from what's been done in the U.S. on mutual funds and, you know, on especially on even advisory type accounts. So it's a great opportunity to go there and, try to help firms understand ways in which they can do things differently. That's for sure. We all need to think about ways we can do things differently. That's right. Uh, and I wanted to thank you, Cheryl, because I know we're out of time. I want to be cognizant of that. And I really want to thank you for joining me here and, and sharing your time and sharing your experiences and answering my, my endless questions. And, and, you know, we always have a great time uh, talking and, and, and uh, about the industry and about the, how things go. That was wonderful, Craig. Thank you. 
You're welcome. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Hey, everyone. It's Craig again. Just a few quick items before we go. If you like this episode, please give it a five-star review on iTunes. I would very much appreciate it. And remember to check out the show notes for links to everything we talked about on this episode. For more information on wealth management technology, you can read my Wealth Management Today blog at wmtoday.com. Thanks for tuning in, and I'm looking forward to talking to you all again next week. 